We're almost at journey's end with regard to looking at women, women of the Bible. Um, we've got Lydia this week, and David's going to bring, well, hopefully he is, <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila next week, but focusing on Priscilla. And then that's the last one. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, Lydia. And for the story of Lydia, we, Lydia, we turn to Acts and chapter 16. I'm reading at verse 16. Oh, we're actually reading at verse 12, sorry. Might as well start at 11. <laughs> Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Verse 40. So they entered and went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they'd seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And then just the beginning of the book of Philippians, I'm going to read. You don't have to turn to this one. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops or elders and deacons. I'll come back to that last verse at the end. So, we have this very brief story of this woman called Lydia. And we don't know too much about her. We do know that she was a seller of purple cloth. She was from Thyatira. Thyatira is in the region of Lydia in Asia. So Lydia may not have been her actual name. It might have signified where she came from. She may have been called Lydia because she was a Lydian. Whether or not it was her name, she was certainly not from Philippi. She traveled to Philippi from a place called Thyatira. Thyatira was a place famous for dyeing purple cloth. And this, of course, was used by the very rich in the time, in the culture. Only the very rich people could buy purple cloth because it was very expensive and very um, a big process to actually make it. And Thyatira, where she was from, was one of the, the key places where purple cloth was made. So she was a seller of this, this key um, uh, cloth. Anyone in purple? Oh, a few in purple here today. The rich amongst us are in purple today. <laughs> Thyatira is also one of the places written to in the letters of Revelation, and not always in the best terms. The church there contained a woman whom the letter identifies as a Jezebel. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 2-3. We know that Lydia was a seller of purple cloth. Her trade had taken her to Philippi in Greece, which is where the incident we've just read is recorded in Acts. So she'd gone from what, what is modern-day Turkey into Greece or Macedonia area. Such cloth, of course, was only sold to the Roman elite, and it was made from the juice of certain crustaceans. 
So Thyatira was at a place where these crustaceans were, were numerous. It took thousands of crustaceans to make a yard of purple. That's why it was so expensive. Uh, and therefore, it was literally worth, worth its weight in silver. It was the Gucci handbag or the Prada shoes of its time. The dye was fixed in the cloth using ammonia. Now, as we all know, the chief source of ammonia is urine. So outside their house, these makers of purple cloth would have a little pot for the, for the use of any passers-by. So it was um, a very smelly process. Not carried out by the elite themselves, of course, by lower, but by lower-class uh, citizens. So although Lydia was probably fairly wealthy from the trade, she was not part of the upper echelons via the Thyatira or Philippian society. We also know from the text that she had a house in Philippi. So she probably... Thyatira, oh, I've got a pointer. Thyatira is about there somewhere, and Philippi's there. So she would probably move between the two, had two houses, and so she would get the cloth, make it in one place, and then go and sell it in another. And we certainly know that she had a house in Philippi. So she was pretty well off, um, but not the upper echelons of society. And from all this note, we know that she was a successful businesswoman. And it would seem from Acts 16.40, one of the verses we read, that, that, that it was in her house that these beginnings of a church met in her home. We know from verse 14 that she was a worshipper of God. Now, she was one who worshipped God. This means that she was already a worshipper of Yahweh, of the Jewish God. We don't know if she was a Jew, of Jewish descent or whether, as is more likely, she was a proselyte a Gentile convert to Judaism. She'd come out of Judaism, uh, sorry, out of paganism and had aligned herself with the, Jew, with the Jews and was worshipping in that place. So in the narrative, Paul and Silas have been ministering in, in what is modern-day southern Turkey. And they come across to Europe, to Philippi, first place that they stop off at at the direction of the Holy Spirit. And you'll remember the story where, where specifically Paul sees a, sees in a vision a Macedonian man. And he says, come over here. And so Paul and Silas and presumably Luke, because the passage starts with him saying, we sailed, and it's Luke who's writing this. So Luke is with them as well. They sail over into Macedonia and they come to the city of Philippi. First foray of Paul into Europe in Acts. And it was not his original plan to go to Europe. But it was God's. The city of Philippi was established by, guess, <laughs> Philip. Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. <laughs> it was a fortified city in a fertile region. And Augustus had established it as a military outpost and a staging post between Rome and the east. And he populated it with veterans, and he made it a Roman colony. So although it was in Greece, it was full of Romans, and they were ex-army Romans. Because what they used to do in the Roman world was when a, when a veteran, when someone had come to the end of their the useful life as a soldier, they would be given a house, and, and they would have these colonies. And so Augustus had particularly set up Philippi as a colony for all these ex-soldiers. 
So the whole street city would have been full of ex-soldiers, as well as Greeks and others selling uh, their various goods. And so people who lived there had the same rights as a Roman citizen himself, as if they were living in Rome. And they had the protection of Roman law. And it's likely that the city would have been filled with the worship of every kind of pagan god. And from the fact that Paul doesn't go straight to the synagogue, as was his normal practice, it would appear that there were not many Jews in this city. There had to be ten Jewish men in the city to establish a synagogue. So there were less than ten Jewish men in this city. So the only place that they could come together to pray was to go outside the city to the river. And that's why Paul doesn't go to a synagogue in Philippi. He goes outside the city to where he knows there will be people gathering to, to pray. And he went there expecting to find a place of prayer. Specifically, we, we are told, it was the women who had gathered to pray. How often is that the case? How often over the centuries does God draw women to pray when men are too busy? How many revivals can be traced back? If you look at the history of revivals, so often it's the prayers of women that bring the revival. You look at the Hebridean revival of the 1950s, it was two old women who prayed for, for, for generations until God broke out. Women, your prayers are important. Don't neglect prayer. Men, don't neglect prayer. It was the women who were praying outside the city here. Paul's heart was to reach out to anyone who would listen. And his usual practice didn't restrict his willingness to go where the Spirit told him. And in this instance, he went, didn't go to the men, he went to the marginalized women outside the city. And we too must be willing to witness to whoever we come across at every opportunity. There are no restrictions on the grace of God. All men, women, and children, regardless of color, religion, race, or sexual orientation, are entitled to hear the gospel. Our role is to be willing servants, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to those he is wanting to reach through us. Here, in that, this place, next to a river, not in a building, not in the streets, but where there were those who had come together to seek God, Paul began to preach. We've got no record of the content of his sermon, but something he said touched Lydia's heart, and she responded immediately. She saw the need of her saviour. And surrendered immediately to him. Not only that, but our whole household also became Christians and baptized, and were baptized straight away. And immediately she's baptized. Oh, sorry, that's Philippi. I'm a couple of slides behind there. There's her being baptized. Immediately she, um, she was baptized. She extends hospitality to Paul and Silas. And in turn, gave Paul a base from which to begin the work of evangelizing the city. Now, we don't know from the passage in Acts how long Paul was in Philippi. But from verse 40, the last verse we read, or the, the second last verse we read, by the time of his departure in the city, from the city, it seems there was a small church forming. So Paul was obviously not here for just a week. He was here for a while. And there were others who came in after Lydia. But Lydia was the first. And it's also confirmed by that verse we read in the letter to Philippians, which addressed all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the elders and deacons. Clearly, by the time Paul wrote his letter, 
the church had grown and become more than just a small house group in Lydia's home. There's another incident in this narrative, which we didn't read, verse 16 to 40. And on that, in that part of the narrative, Paul and Silas are walking in the city and there's a, a girl who is, has a spirit, a medium spirit in her. And she's making a lot of money for her masters. And Paul and, and, and Silas cast out the, 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 the spirit and, and suddenly the trade of these, these masters is taken away. And so they have Paul and Silas thrown in prison. And you remember the story how Paul and Silas are there without trial, thrown in the prison. So what do they start doing? They start singing hymns. Wouldn't be the first thing that springs to mind when being thrown in a dank, dirty jail in the middle of a Roman city. But they sung hymns and praised God. And of course, at midnight, there was an earthquake and my chains fell off. My heart was free. And they were set free. And there's the jailer and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do it. We're all still here. That all happens in between where we've read. And at the end of the story, Paul and Silas are let out of prison and they're exonerated and they're, they're, the, the, the governor comes down to, to say sorry for not treating them properly as Roman citizens should be treated. But after this incident, Lydia receives Paul and Silas back into her home. This could have been damaging for her reputation to her business. She didn't balk at the idea. Rather, she was pleased to stand with her suffering brothers and sisters, whatever the risk. Are we pleased to stand with those who are unpopular in society? Are we pleased to stand with those who, who, who have a voice, who take a stand against things? Are we pleased to stand when our brothers and sisters are suffering? Lydia didn't balk at the idea of standing with her brothers and sisters. Even if it meant damage to her reputation, damage to her business, damage to to all that she had established in that city. So what can we learn from this woman? Well, much, I think. But I've picked out a few points. Firstly, she was a diligent businesswoman in a male-dominated society. She used her earnings for the sake of the kingdom. And for each one of us, our daily work is or should be an extension of our faith. It's not in vain that people speak about the Protestant work ethic. Well, hard work has always been associated with people of true faith because our work should be done for the glory of God. And that's not always easy. Some of us find ourselves in difficult work work situations with unsympathetic employers and other issues. And it's easy to join in with those who moan and speak badly of our bosses or of the situation we find ourselves in, or even blame the government for everything that's going on. The word of God encourages us to take a different approach. Our work is an extension of our service for God. And when we take that view, then we give glory to him. Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And respect and with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. He's take, talking, saying that to slaves. To peop, not to people who are getting paid for what they're doing, but people who are just being commanded to do what they're, what they're told to do, with no rights. And yet Paul says, obey them with respect. Honor them. It says something 
to the way we are in terms of our employment, I believe. We have responsibility to act as the people of God, not as the world acts. Even in difficult circumstances. If slaves can do that, so can we. As we remember that it's not just our earthly masters that we're serving when we work, but Jesus himself. The outcome of Lydia's hard work that she was, was that she was able to make provision for God's servants. And we too, as we work and are rewarded with earthly pay, are able to support the work of the Lord amongst us. Secondly, she was open-hearted towards God. That's a picture of her. <laughs> Photograph they took at the time. <laughs> she was open-hearted toward, to hear from God. It was this that caused her to be saved. It says, the Lord opened her heart. She allowed the words preached by Paul to penetrate her heart, and that gave birth to saving faith. She was not just an attender, but someone who wanted all that God had for her. And so when Paul opened up the truth about all that Jesus has done, she responded and began her journey of faith. And I challenge all of us, just as Natalie did, do we want all that God wants for us? Do we want everything he has? Do we want to make him first? Because we can only do that by being open-hearted to him, by being soft-hearted, by being willing, by being those who want to have all that he wants to give. Thirdly, she was, as, as we've already said, she was willing to stand with her fellow brothers and sisters, no matter what the cost. And when Paul and Silas had come out of prison, even though they were vindicated, her association with them could have tainted her reputation and affected her business. It might also have brought censure from the pagans, particularly those who had lost their trade through the deliverance of the girl from the spirit. And despite this, Lydia did not withdraw her support from them, but received them back into her home. And we too need to stand with her brothers and sisters, even when there's a cost involved. Edmund Burke said, All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Sometimes we need to speak out, especially when people are taking a stand for good, even if it means we'll be unpopular. And this is also not just when they're of the same political persuasion as us. We need to stand up for righteousness and justice. Fourthly, though a successful businesswoman, she was willing to serve the church of Jesus Christ. She didn't allow her status to prevent her from serving. She didn't think of herself above extending hospitality. What we can learn from Lydia is her response to truth, which results in her immediate willingness to serve. It's easy to forget that initial joy of coming to faith and to stop serving. Lydia is not established in high office in the church. We don't read of her as a leader of the, of the community or in any other ministry. She just took what she had, her home, her open heart, her gift of hospitality, and she used it for the church, for the sake of the kingdom. And as we find our calling, it's not always the big things that God wants us to do. God just wants us to take what he's given us and use it for his glory. Finally, she was the first European convert. The faith that has dominated our continent for the last 2,000 years began with a businesswoman in Greece who was open to Paul's message. 
What a door was opened at that moment that led to the establishment of the church. The first church on European soil. What a legacy has flowed out from this continent and taken the gospel all over the world. Sure, it's exported many other negative things as well, but the gospel has gone out of this continent. And she, if you like, was the one who opened the door for that to happen. She was the first one to say yes to Jesus in Europe. So as we conclude, the key to understanding Lydia is one verse. The Lord opened our heart to respond to Paul's message. And from that brief moment flowed her faithful servant service and the establishment of a church in our home. And the question we, we, we come back to is, are we willing to surrender all for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ, just as she did? And I would encourage you this morning to consider again, if you're holding anything back, are there any areas of your life that are still not surrendered? Now's the time to deal with it. Amen.